0: No. Today on the show, we're talking about the accumulating debt and Canadian auto loans. Welcome to the Simple Money Solutions Podcast, where we focus on your money from a Canadian perspective. This podcast is released weekly and released every Monday. Show notes for every episode can be found at livelifesimple.ca. Now let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, I'm your host Courtney, and joining me today is my co-host Trevor. As I mentioned in the introduction, today we're talking about the growing debt seen in the Canadian auto industry. So Trevor, today's article is called Canadians Getting Lured into Auto Debt Treadmill by Signing onto Long-Term Car Loans by Barbara Schecter from the Financial Post. So, we're talking about the ever-increasing debt through auto loans, and Schechter starts of our article by stating that consumers, quote, consumers have been taking advantage of stretched amortization periods in recent years to take on more debt without increasing their monthly payments. In simple terms, can you break down for our listeners what this means?
1: Yeah, what's happening is people are, um, they, they no longer can afford a what I call a conventional car loan, a, a three-year car loan, which... On a depreciating asset, to me is, is about as long as you want a car loan to be. As cars get as cars get more expensive, to make the monthly payment affordable, the only option you have is to extend the amortization period. So now you're paying for a car over as much as eight years.
0: And Trevor, what should what should be the car the typical tar, car loan period?
1: Well, like I said, three years is optimal. I would not. I would never go beyond four years. Also, I keep my cars about ten years. They lose a the reliability, meaning you're going to start paying for repair bills probably in the five-year range. So the, the last thing you want to be doing is, is making a car payment and you know having major repairs at the same time. It, it's going to put you in a huge financial hole.
0: Definitely. So continuing on through the article, Schechter says that quote, people are often buying more car than they can afford. End quote. And are, quote, going on to buy new cars before their original loans are fully repaid, end quote. So first of all, why is this even happening? And why are consumers continuing to buy cars they can't afford?
1: Well, it's marketing. Um, If you go back, when I was a kid, everybody drove a sedan. And the odd person had a station wagon. And that's all cars really were. And as the car makers have evolved, they've come up with You know, minivans, uh, SUVs, crossover SUVs. Now, they've got these four-door trucks that seem to be all the rage. It's more and more obvious that you're not driving the latest and greatest vehicle today more, more than ever because... They're not just changing the, you know, the taillights and the headlights of the car. They're changing the overall. Sh- if you're driving a, a minivan instead of an SUV, it's, it's, you're, you appear to be very out of date. So the, the trading up is, is that kind of marketing, but it's the wholesale change they are making to vehicles. They're, they're creating all, whole new classes of cars. And people are, uh, if, if you're not driving that, that crossover SUV, your, your car looks way out of date. So it's, it's marketing, it's image. Hats off to the car companies. They've really nailed it.
0: So it's basically the mentality of wanting the latest and greatest.
1: Well, that's always existed. It's more obvious today. Like I say, back when there was just cars, it was it was less obvious what what year you were driving. But now they, it's changed so dramatically the the shapes and sizes of vehicles that it's everybody's always wanted to drive the latest car. That's not a new new thing, but it's more and more obvious now that you're not if, if in fact you're not up with the latest cars.
0: So, Trevor, what is the solution to ensuring that consumers buy a car they can actually afford?
1: I'm not a huge fan of government regulation, but unless you're driving a pretty unique car that's going to last 15 years, I think an eight-year car loan should be something that you just not permissible. It it doesn't make sense on, on a on a, a, a thing that depreciates as quickly as a car. In the first years of owning a brand new car on an eight-year car loan, you're going to be upside down on that, meaning you're going to owe more than that car is worth.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And this is getting off topic, but do you expect everyone to own their car? You said you owned your car for 10 years. Is that is that a strategy that you would expect everyone could assume to ensure that they do own their cars properly and pay for their cars properly?
1: Well, I have a formula I use for myself for how much I sh- should spend on a car. And my formula has been, 50% of my annual income every 10 years is what I think is reasonable to spend on transportation. So and that would include all cars, not just one car. So if, if my family happens to have two cars, 50% of my annual household income is all I should really be spending on a car to make financial sense. So for instance, if I if my household income is $100,000, fifty thousand dollars every 10 years is really anything above that and you're starting to move into out of transportation and into luxury
0: So does your formula apply across the board with all um, with all ages and with all working classes and all with all income levels?
1: Absolutely and, and so you're, one saying, other... you're
0: saying you're newly out of school uh, post-secondary graduate and you middle of their life person are can follow the formula.
1: Well, and I just want to add one more piece of that. If you have to borrow money to buy the car, and most people do, three years is the maximum. So here's a formula that's worked for me. 50% of my household income and no more than a three-year car loan. That's the car you can afford.
0: So that leaves right in my next question. So when when I ask, is auto debt ever acceptable, how much auto debt? Like enough debt that you can pay off in three years?
1: Yeah, it paid off in three years. The The amount of interest you pay on a car loan is significant. And if you get into like a, a, a $50,000 truck and you spread that over eight years, there's a lot of interest associated with that. So yeah, three years is the max.
0: Would you say it's common for consumers to forget forget about that high interest rate when they are purchasing? purchasing? Like they, they will just look at the price tag of the car and kind of forget about that?
1: I know my bike car buying experience has been I go in to buy a car and the – Salesperson wants to know is how much have I been approved for in terms of a car loan, and then as soon as I they they know that that number, they quickly figure out what the monthly payment is, and then when they try to upsell me, their negotiating tactic is it's only going to be a few more dollars a month. Nowhere in that conversation have we talked about interest.
0: Right, right. So that's kind, that's kind of how they get you. Um, okay, rolling right on through this article. It states that, quote, consumers put themselves in the position of having to roll the debt owing on the long-term loan into the loan of the purchase for the purchase of a new vehicle, end quote. What are the ramifications of buying a new car before the original loan is fully repaid and why is this not ideal?
1: Well, this is the auto debt treadmill, meaning you buy a car. Uh, you, you drive it for three years, and you, all, you you have this desire for the latest and greatest. So you take it back to the dealer, you trade it in, you get another car, and buried in there is you owing more. Like the, the residual amount owing on that car just gets rolled into the next loan. So let's say you when you when you trade in a car, you don't get um, market value for it, you get something below market value. So you're really you're look if you were to just walk away and not buy a new car, you you would still owe money to the lender. This is just being rolled into your next car loan. And so if you bought a a $50,000 truck and you traded in your two-year-old truck, you would have probably like a a, a $53,000 loan that you'd be paying for because it would be a combination of whatever the residual amount of the car you traded in was and the new vehicle you're buying. And then if you do this every two or three years, it just starts to grow and grow and grow and grow.
0: That sounds dangerous. Just one continual snowball of debt. Is there any way, so we do have our listener right now who is, who has been trapped into that auto debt treadmill? How? What's the solution? How can the listener well, get off of that treadmill and kind of backtrack to a healthy relationship with auto debt?
1: Well, a good way to to reset this is to step out of the new car market and buy used, an opportunity to catch up and pay down some of that negative equity you've built up in, in vehicles. Um, I, I want to say, though, cars have become so expensive that you, you make a mistake at a young age in buying cars and start getting on this auto debt treadmill and the debt starts to pile up you can't undo that when i say you can't undo that if you bought a house you can't afford a house appreciates in value you could always sell that house now you may lose a little bit of money in real estate commission and stuff like that but you can recover from that but you get into trading in every year and, and you're 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 in your your fifth new vehicle in, in five years or, or six years, uh, and you, you're you sitting on, on $70,000 of debt. You can't just sell that vehicle and, and, and walk away from it. You're upside down on that auto debt. You can't recover. The problem is people who go buy their first car and their second car, they're generally young and, and puts them in a huge hole at a huge financial disadvantage.
0: So you're saying the solution moving forward is to is to acknowledge that you you can't and you shouldn't want to have the latest and greatest and that you do need to step off, reevaluate, and realize that maybe your car shouldn't be the most expensive purchase. Maybe you shouldn't put all your money and realize that it does appreciate.
1: You can be a car guy. That's fine. And you can put a lot of money into cars. But you can't be a house guy and a vacation guy as well.
0: Yeah, you have to pick one. Definitely. So you mentioned this earlier and Schechter talks about this in her article as well, but Negative equity. Can you define for our
1: listeners what negative equity is? Yeah, so negative equity is where you um, basically you owe more on your car than, than its current market value is. So if you take a an eight, an eight year car loan, that car depreciates about 45 percent in the first two years. But you've only paid off 25 percent of the loan if it's an eight year loan. Clearly, if you were to walk away from that car, you'd, you'd still owe money. So that's that's negative equity.
0: So right there in what you just said, that promotes, that really promotes buying use then.
1: Or buying on a shorter amortization period, meaning three years or less. Because at three years, you're never going to be in a neg- negative equity position.
0: So essentially, just keep that loan short because the life of a car is short as well. But going back to not buying a car, okay, so you have your, you've had, going back to the whole, you have your car for 10 years. I just, that really just sounds unrealistic i just i'm just speaking as the voice of our listeners right now because everyone you talk about how everyone trades in their car after three years are you the uh, quote hippie who is doing something not everyone is doing or should everyone jump on board and have their car for 10 years
1: well so i i I have a family and i have two vehicles and I, i stagger them so um, one is relatively new and one is relatively old. So I'm never driving a 10 year old car without a uh, a newer car in the driveway that's more reliable. So if you only own one car, 10 years is probably a bit of a stretch because it starts to become unreliable. Most families have two cars. If you have two cars, you can stagger their ages and stretch their, their lives out. So uh, I have one car that's 12 years old and it's my oldest car and it's not as reliable. I, I wouldn't take it across the country or anything, but it it's more of an in-town car. And then I have a newer vehicle that I, I take on longer trips.
0: I guess essentially what you're saying is don't have the latest and greatest two cars or buy used or buy one
1: kind of... If, if, if you're going to own two cars, make sure one of them, at least one of them is used.
0: Okay. I guess it's I guess it's all about finding that balance, really, and not being extreme. Because when you presented the idea of having your car for 10 years, it just sounded very extreme and very, very like, how how do you manage that? Yeah. You need a reliable yeah. car. So that, when you kind of explain that, that makes more sense. And I think our listeners can really... um appreciate that angle that you're taking
1: yeah 10 years does sound kind of extreme when you think of a 10 year old car but... so that's
0: why i was just wondering if that was just your personal example or one that you would really promote for our listeners as well it,
1: it, like i say a family of two cars, if i only have one car i'm probably seven eight years max and then then its reliability starts to become questionable but if you only own one car maybe you can afford to have a, a newer car so.
0: right and we're, i know we're, we're really losing touch with the article right now but i just have one more question to follow up with that um how so uh, just some advice for our listeners who maybe do have that new car bug how first off have you ever been a car guy and second off how do you suggest to our listeners to kind of move away from that car bug and just be content and okay with having a car that's maybe not the latest and greatest
1: well i start with i i my, my first car was a new car
0: Okay, so you, so you don't you don't dispromote not having a new car.
1: I I do actually. I I look back at it as a huge mistake. Okay, okay,
0: fair enough.
1: So my my first car was brand new, and I, I had it for a year, and I traded it in for uh, uh, an even fancier new car. So you so you were on the auto debt I was, treadmill yourself there. I was absolutely on the auto debt treadmill, and my car loan was five years. So all the sins, right? I committed them all. Um, And that's how I can say from experience that it was a bad decision and it put me at a a financial disadvantage for five years. I was almost 30 before um, I was sort of out from under that that hole. So you're an
0: auto debt treadmill recoverer.
1: I am, I am. And I was always sort of leery of the used car market, but uh, after that I bought a used car and had great success, and I've, I've had good success ever since then. One thing that's made the used car market an easier place to buy cars is, and I'm not a fan of them, but leased cars. And with a leased car, the leaser is under obligation to to maintain that car at a, a specified level to to meet all the lease agreement conditions. So when you go to buy a car that's been returned on a lease, it's been very well maintained, and those are prime candidates if you're buying a used car. They're generally Low mileage, because all these leases have mileage restrictions. Cosmetically, they're in really good shape because, again, the lease agreement requires it. And they're just, there's just a, a plethora of these, these used cars just waiting to be bought up. And the dealers, they've already made their money on those cars, selling them new so they're just looking to break even on, on selling it used. When I was a kid, my dad bought used cars. He would shop for cars forever. This is before leases existed. It was hard to find a really good, reliable used. And Trevor, car.
0: was this before this, the dealerships had their certified used lots as well?
1: I think the certified used came in when when the leased cars became popular because that's the only way they can you know it can meet these certified used. Uh, criteria okay. is be- because it, they they can verify it's been maintained properly based on the lease agreement.
0: It's really good, I think, in my opinion, to see the certified used lots pop up because it is promoting uh, the way the way you look at cars, and I think that's a really healthy way to think about it.
1: Yeah, I've owned let's see one two three four four used cars and two new cars. My used car experience has been far superior. One thing with a used car is your expectations are far lower. The car comes, you know, it doesn't have the new car smell so you, you know, you don't have to overcome you know the first person eating uh, smelly food in your car, and that
0: this pre-scratched.
1: Uh ah, sometimes there's the odd little scratch here and there, but on a new car, boy, first scratch really hurts.
0: Definitely.
1: So it, it's it's a lot less stressful owning, buying a used car, owning a used car.
0: Yeah, and I, I our listeners can definitely benefit from how you've had personal experience being on the auto debt treadmill and then coming off. So it's definitely a realistic concept that our listeners can appreciate because you have come full, full, uh, full tilt and I'm. Sure, seeing that and hearing that they can as well. So the article continues on by stating a statistic. Quote: The average new car loan last year had a term longer than 72 months, up from 65 months in 2010. This equates to six years, up from five and a half years from 2010. Does this surprise you, Trevor? And for our listeners out there who may be purchasing a car for the first time, how many years? I know you said three, but is this a realistic number that all our listeners? can should
1: go by? I think the average income in Canada cannot buy the average new car for any term less than six years I think I just think six years is too long a six-year car loan there's way too much interest being paid there's way too much risk for the lender and the borrower for negative equity if you are borrowing money over six years to buy a car it's a car you really cannot afford
0: that's, that's putting it nice simply and sweet it has to be a car the consumer can afford and if it's not, that means they just have to go down their price range or buy used. Like, what's the solution there?
1: There's plenty of cars like that you can buy for that are that are reasonable price, entry-level cars. Honda Civic is a popular car. Even brand new, they're, they're under $30,000. That That's an affordable car in, in three years. Again, I'm a huge fan of the used car market. But it's these $65,000 trucks that you see people driving, uh, and they drive them like cars. Meaning they, you know, they're they're driving them commuting to work in a in a sixty five thousand dollar truck. That is such a, a huge waste of resources. The number of trucks I see go down the road with actually something in the box, of the truck I can count on one hand. Most of the people drive these things like cars, but they're built for for working. And I, I mean, if you want to own a truck, that's fine, but it needs to make financial sense.
0: Because it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Trucks and well, vehicles. That sixty five thousand dollar truck the day you drive off the lot it's just appreciating it's there's it's going down in value
1: i seen an ad in the paper for it was a used it was a 2015 so a one-year-old truck It was a four-door four-wheel drive pickup truck it had 210 thousand kilometers on it there's that truck and i could tell by the look of it it wasn't worked it was driven like a car so somebody is commuting 2 hours one way to work every day in, in a truck and this was a high-end truck.
0: Is is that really worth it is a question I think our listeners have to ask themselves the next time they go to buy a vehicle, that's too much vehicle for them. I mean, at some point you do have to put aside your your want to own because go the truck market. The truck market is one that has I think a really big following. If you own a truck, you own a truck for your life. You've heard that saying.
1: Yeah, there's if you're a truck if you're a truck person, you're always a truck person. And they seem to be insensitive to price. If a guy has owned a, a Chevy truck all his life, it doesn't matter what it costs or how much the, the price of the truck goes up, this guy is is dedicated to that brand and he's always going on a truck. If you're driving it and using it like a truck, I think that's great. But if you're driving it and using it like a car, I know some people, they have a house trailer they pull around with a truck. They go, they take that house trailer on vacation two weeks a year and they drive that truck 50 weeks a year. The other 50 weeks a year, like a car. I don't, I guess if you if you want to own a trailer, what are you going to do? But it seems like a huge huge allocation of finances to pull a trailer around for two weeks.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, So moving through the article, it states that, quote, although significantly more consumers are carrying negative equity when they break their existing auto loans, the average amount of negative equity carried by consumers has hovered around 6,700, unquote. This sounds like a really large number, but can you put that number into perspective for our listeners? Is it as large as it sounds? Uh,
1: well, six thousand dollars doesn't sound like a huge number, but remember that's an average, and so there's some uh, a lot of people who have no negative equity pulling that number down. So the people that do have ne- negative equity is probably you know more like ten thousand um, dollars. This is a huge risk for the the lenders. If they were if if the owner was was to default on their payments and they went to repossess that car. There, that's that's a, a huge liability out there for, for banks and, and other lending institutions.
0: I, I completely agree, Trevor. Um, moving on, the article states that, quote, vehicles depreciate quickly, which means the negative equity peak in the early year of a loan when the portion of each payment dedicated to the interest tends to be larger. Ho- Therefore, holding the loan longer eventually moves the borrower into a positive equity position, end quote. So Trevor, you talked about negative equity. Can you shine some light for our listeners now on what positive equity is?
1: So this is when the depreciation on the vehicle starts to level off in years uh, four, five, and six, and the principal portion of the loan is, is greater than the interest portion. Only when the vehicle is sort of old and, and starting to wear is it, is it becoming a, an asset, I guess you could call it. Meaning it's, its market value is greater than the amount of money you owe on it if you were to sell it.
0: So moving on through the article, Schechter discusses how auto lending has grown dramatically since 2007, even quicker than the growth scene with mortgages, credit cards, and lines of credit. So Trevor, I find this next statistic extremely daunting, but in the past seven years from 2007, vehicle loans have risen from 60 to 64 billion from 18.2 billion. So that's a $10.2 million increase in vehicle loans. First of all, one, does this number even surprise you? And two, why do you think there's been such a dramatic increase?
1: I think that's an alarming number. If you think about the population of Canada, there's 30 million people, and we have 60 billion in car loans. That's an, uh, an alarming percentage. But it's just the constant increasing cost of cars. It's it, They're continuing to put innovation into vehicles. Now, the safety innovations I'm I'm on board with those, but a lot of the luxury innovations, like I can't remember the last car I seen that didn't have power windows, and power locks. The, there should be a focus on on a, a low cost, basic transportation type of car.
0: And you talk about all these luxury luxury things. Are so? We're, do you think are we paying a lot for those added? Like is I guess my question is: Are is that expected? Are we are we is there expected to be debt more than there was? Oh, like in the past years? Well, I
1: think as a percentage of your income, I think the cost of a car has gone up exponentially. Your car buying dollar went further 20 years ago than it does today.
0: That's that's a good point. Um. So Trevor, if consumer debt levels have risen, should we expect every other level of debt to rise as well?
1: Well, unfortunately, our society seems to be... Uh, infatuated with debt. Um, We're we're a debt financed society. Consumer debt, auto debt, housing debt, borrowing money at an alarming rate. Part of us, the record low interest rates that are out there, but it doesn't make it the the right thing to do.
0: Can we ever get off the auto debt treadmill? Can society as a whole ever kind of not, like reduce the auto debt To a very minimal level, will that ever be possible?
1: The only thing that's going to fix this, uh, unfortunately, is government regulation and eight-year car loans. I think I'm even against a five-year car loan, but a five-year car loan should be the max for a personal use car. I'm not talking commercial vehicles, but a a personal use vehicle, five years should be the absolute max. And I think you might see a little less auto debt treadmill activity.
0: That rolls right into my next question. Um, In the article, it states that, quote, the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada says that consumer groups have expressed concerns and is responding by focusing oversight and education efforts on the auto loan market, end quote. So I guess my question is, people have been buying cars for decades, There's and there's always seemed to be a lack of knowledge in the auto loan market. And also, like you said earlier... Do, do you think consumers even realize that eight years is too long? Like, where where is that education going to come from to educate our, our consumers and our listeners out there who are listening right now that, I mean, the, our listeners are at the right place right now, but everyone who's not listening, how do they find out that, no, eight years is way too long?
1: Well, it, it's going to take probably some bad experiences before people realize they've dug a hole that they can't get out of.
0: So do you think the problem of long-term car loans is really rooted back to the lack of knowledge? Or is there any other underlying issues at play here?
1: Well, I think it's it's lack of knowledge and, and lack of regulation. Part, You know, part of the problem is way back in the day, if you wanted to borrow money to buy a car, you went to a bank. Well, now car manufacturers have a financing arm like GMAC or Toyota Financial, and they they finance their own cars so they have sort of a clouded judgment when they're approving people for uh, car loans because they are interested in they're making money off loaning money loaning money for the car plus they're making money off selling the car
0: so it's just kinda of, uh, it, but are they being manipulative when they do that or are they are they really looking out for the kind of the best business interest well
1: they're they're looking at they like I say they're making money at both ends so It's a win-win for them. True.
0: Uh, The Financial Consumer Agency of Canada uh, states that one step they will be taking to regulate the auto loan market will be to, quote, ensure the indirect lending activities of federally regulated financial institutions, including auto loans, comply with federal legislative regulatory requirements, end quote. So do, do you believe that financial institutions are taking advantage of new-to-market, naive consumers looking to obtain an auto loan? Or are they harmlessly and good-heartedly just looking to help the consumers own a vehicle that they want?
1: See, I, I think the banks, they're adhering to those rules and regulations. It's the arms of the automaking finance companies that, that are the root of the problem. They're, they're loaning money, self-serving to sell cars.
0: So um the, the article continues by stating that the provincial and territorial governments are working to ensure that consumers receive the information they need when entering into a car loan." End quote. So w- w- can you give our listeners just a, a few key pieces of information that um, they should take into consideration when they're getting a car loan or purchasing their next car and who should they ask questions to?
1: They, they should know how much interest they're paying on a car loan in total, uh, what the total cost of that car is going to be, including interest.
0: So Trevor, as we wrap up this episode, who's really to blame for the auto debt treadmill? The consumer for not properly educating themselves, regulatory authorities for not better regulating the auto loan industry or the auto industry for manipulating and deceiving consumers with appealing marketing tactics.
1: I I kind of want to say it's the automotive industry that's that's the, at the root of the problem. They're, they're making cars people can't afford, figuring out new ways to sell the sell cars to them through leases and extended terms, six, you know, six-year car loans. They uh, have their bottom lines at interest at, at the forefront of their interests which i don't know if i can fault them for that but uh but the consumer's got to take some responsibility here and know that it has to make financial sense they, they need a financial plan and a car is a significant enough of a purchase that they need to have a, a car buying strategy
0: and trevor i i want to ask you for your um simple money solution tip for this episode is developing a strategy one a takeaway tip for our listeners so
1: my, my strategy is if you're going to buy a car give a serious thought to buying a used car if you own two cars Make sure at least one of them is used.
0: I like that. I like that a lot, and I think that's something our listeners can really, really—it's a realistic tip that our listeners can actually implement. And it's—it's it's not something crazy. It's something that's very, very doable. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and please be sure to check out the show notes at livelifesimple.ca. Please give the show a rating on iTunes as it helps us get noticed. Also, leave us a comment on shows that you'd like to see in the future, as well as this episode. Please be sure to check out our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and our blog and our underneath feed on our website to keep up to date with everything that's happening. So until next week, keep it simple.